I sometimes forget that I was created for joy. My mind is too busy. My heart is too heavy. Heavy for me to remember. That I have been called to dance the sacred dance for life. I was created to smile. To love. To be lifted up. And lift others up. O sacred one, untangle my feet from all that ensnares. Free my soul that we might dance and that our dancing might be contagious. All right. Well, hello, everybody. Good to see you. Go Rangers. Glad, glad you're here. And, uh, and you know that the poetry that we just saw, um, when I, when I first saw it, our video team did that. They do such incredible work, but they used the poem, put it to, you know, with the different people talking and did you notice they weren't smiling? And I was like, well, it's about joy. Like, come on. But, but that was kind of their point because they're artists, you know, and they think about it. And, and so I was like, you know, that's true that I think a lot of us, we, we want joy. All of us do. And yet it's sometimes a little hard to be as joyful, especially when circumstances aren't so great. And when our world is kind of dark, it's not so easy to find. And that's really the point of the poetry. And and that's the point of the series, too, is how you and I can find joy no matter what. That's what the book of Philippians, we're in this book called Philippians in the New Testament that the Apostle Paul wrote to a church that was in tough circumstances. Paul in very tough circumstances. And, and in the book, he keeps saying, over, he uses joy more than any other book in the, in the Bible. But over and over again, it says joy, rejoice, rejoice. Again, I say rejoice, rejoice in the Lord. Rejoice means to choose joy. Uh, we're, we're told in the Bible to be joyful always. But, you know, how can we do that? And it might even be surprising to think that God actually, like, really cares about this. He really wants you to be joyful. And I love the way Ryan said it at the beginning of the series. He said, happiness and joy are different. It's not that happiness is bad. Happiness is great. But joy is just much deeper. So the way he said it was happiness is like a smile on your face. And joy is like a smile on your soul. Remember that? And that's what we're talking about. We can have, even when, even when circumstances don't put a smile on our face, we can have a smile on our soul. But How? Well, each week we're looking at that and unraveling that. And today in, in Philippians 2, we're going to see that one of the ways that we can experience joy, one of the ways we can find joy is by joining God in what he's doing and lighting this dark world and having a purpose that's bigger than ourselves. So we don't just go through life just thinking about us, but there's something bigger that we're living for. And one of the ways we light a dark world is actually by being people of joy in a world where there's a lot of people that aren't people of joy. And so the punchline of our passage, we'll read the whole passage in a minute, but the punchline of it is this. Then you will shine among them, talking about a non-believing world, a dark world, you will shine among them like stars in the sky as you hold firmly to the word of life. That as you and I live the life that Jesus wants for us, we will become over time people of joy, as we're going to see in the passage. And as such, shine among them like stars in the sky. Because I don't think I need to spend a lot of time convincing us that our world is dark. And it's difficult. And it's disturbing. And it's frustrating, right? It's not that everything's bad. I mean, some things are great, like the Rangers are in the World Series. That's pretty awesome, right? Right right now, they're in the World Series, and 
Don't leave. It's too late. You're stuck. Um, you're like, what? But, um, and you're smart to be here, by the way, because baseball games last about eight hours. And so you're not missing much the first hour of the game anyway. Um, and, and, you know, so, and, and also there's a cold front coming. I mean, you know, we've had this muggy, hot weather, and that's about to go away, and I'm all for it. So it's not, there's good things happening. And God is at work in the world. God's using many of you in, in our community and right where you are. There's good things happening, but it doesn't change the fact that our world is a very dark place. In fact, right now, I was supposed to be jet-lagged, uh, having just come back from an Israel trip with 100 Chase Oakers to experience the Holy Land together and we didn't get to go, obviously, which is a small thing compared to the people there. And I hope you're praying for Israel and you're praying for the people there. It's horrific, right? And, but that's not the only part of the world. That's, I mean, there's parts just all over the place. There's stuff happening. And the good news, though, is that God has not just left this world to stay dark. Jesus said he came as, to be a light. He came as the light of the world. He came to light the darkness. And when he ascended to heaven, he told his followers, you and me now, that we will be lights. That our job is to light the darkness. And we can join God in lighting a dark world. And when we join God in that process, it lifts us above the circumstances with a bigger purpose. And, as I said, one of the best ways, and we're going to see it in the passage, to light a dark world is by being people of joy. And many of us know people like that who just light up everywhere, you know, just everywhere they go. They just light it up. And I think all of us would love to be people like that. And so we're going to look at the passage and hear Paul talk about it to say, yeah, I'd love to do that. How can I do that? Philippians 2.12. He says to the Philippian church, therefore, my dear friends, as you've always obeyed, and not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, because they're. He's a long way away. He's in Rome uh, in how under house arrest there in Philippi in Asia Minor. Continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose. Do everything without grumbling or arguing so that you may become blameless and pure children of God without fault in a warped and crooked generation. Then you will shine among them like stars in the sky as you hold firmly to the word of life. So Paul's writing to the Philippian church. He starts out so nice. He says, dear friends, because they are dear friends to him. Ten years earlier, he had started the church. He'd been with them after he started the church for months and then left to go start other churches. And now, as we mentioned, he's been arrested because of his faith. Arrested. He's in Rome uh, under house arrest. And he talks a lot in the book about what friends and partners the Philippian church is. In, in one way, that evidence itself is that was the one church that was providing for him financially under house arrest. Because under Roman law, you could be under house arrest if you could afford to be. Otherwise, you'd be in a dungeon. And the Philippian church is the only church that's actually giving him the financial support to do that. In Philippians 4, he thanks the church for that. This is a thank you letter. is one of the big reasons that he writes the book. We'll get to that um, later in chapter 4. And so, the, I mean, they're tight. And he loves them. And he, and he says, as you've always obeyed. Because this is a church that was just that kind of church. These were believers who were Godward, who, who submitted to what Jesus taught, who were like, hey, look, 
we, we want what Jesus wants for us. We will submit whatever. Just even if I don't like it, I'm going to follow God. And that's what it means to follow Jesus is we it's not a self-willed life. It's a God willed life where we submit to God's Jesus's better way. And this was a church that just had the habit of doing that. And he's like, man, it's just so awesome. And, and let me say before I go on what an honor it is to be a pastor in this church because of you. Because when I hear Paul talk about the Philippian church, and, and I, I read through the book multiple times, it's like, man, this sounds like Chase Oaks. Because you're people who obey. You're people who lean forward. You're like, hey, look, we just we want to do what God wants. I mean, and, and we want to go where God wants us to go. And, and so whenever I get up here and speak or lead, there's, a, there's just a sense of people leaning forward. Hey, let's go. And I... And I don't ever take that for granted because I've been in environments that were not like that. And I've spoken in environments that are not like that. Where you're speaking to a group of people that are kind of like, yeah, whatever, dude. And that's no fun. As opposed to people who are leaning forward and saying, you know what? Let's go. I mean, I know I'm not going to do it perfectly. And I may, you know, scream and cry along the way. But I'm going to, I want to follow God. I want to, let's, let's do what he wants us to do. And it is a blast to be part of this place. I've been part of this place for 34 years now. Crazy. And uh, I've loved every second of it. So I just thank you for being you. And that's what Paul was doing with the church. But no church is perfect. We're not perfect. We've got issues. And the Philippian church had issues. And this was their issue. When he says, do everything without grumbling or arguing. And why did he say it? Because they weren't doing everything without grumbling or arguing. They were grumbly. And they were argumentative and they were complaining and they were grumpy. And Paul's like, hey, that's not the way we roll. It's not how to shine like stars in the sky in a dark world. Uh, Because, yeah, the world is always going to be grumpy and argumentative. And 2,000 years ago it was in Philippi and the Roman Empire. And 2,000 years later, I think we've taken it to a whole new art form of grumpiness and complaining and arguing and polarization and this side versus that. And I, I think in a social media world, it's affected all of our relationships. See, not even just social media, but it just spills over in the way we relate to people and groups of people. We're so just, it, it pushes you to extremes, either this extreme or this extreme, and you demonize the other. And, I, and we just, we're, and so it just makes the world even darker and even more divided. And we're, it's just exhausting. And what Paul is saying is, you know, we don't do that as Jesus people. It's not the way of Jesus. Because if you think about it, if you were living like Jesus calls us to, for living in the way of Jesus, it's almost impossible to be grumbly, complaining, and argumentative. Because it's really a sign when we're that way, a lack of faith and of self-focus. Because when I get grumbly, when I get complaining, it's because, well, I'm not getting my way, and I want to, which means other people are, and I don't like it, but, but that's just self-focus. And when we get argumentative, it, it's really more about speaking and making sure I'm heard than making sure that I hear and listening. And if you think about it, I mean, the, the Christian life in the New Testament is summarized by Paul over and over again as growing in faith, hope, and love. And if we're people of faith, it means when things happen in our life that we don't like, it doesn't mean that we throw a party. It doesn't mean that we don't grieve. We do and all of that. But by faith, we accept it as from God. And we may not like it and and all that. I get it. But it's just like, you know, God, 
I don't know what you're doing, but I'm going to trust you. And I could stomp my feet and I could be grumbly and complaining and make a big problem for everybody, but I'm not going to do that. I'm going to trust, I'm going to trust you. You're in control of my life and you're good. That's faith. Hope is even takes that a step more. Hope is saying, you know, not only that, I'm going to look for you in this. Because in this circumstance that I don't like, and I'm not getting my way, or this is not turning out the way I hoped it would, or this is, you know, all that. God, I know you're, you're going to use it. You're going to work somehow. And I'm, I want to find it. I don't want to miss it by being grumbly and complaining. and all. I'm, I want to look for you. And then in love, faith, hope, and love. In love, it means if somebody else wins and I lose, bingo. That's our ethic. And, and a lot of times we complain because, well, we don't get what we want. And other, but other people get what they want and it's not fair. But as a Jesus follower, like Greg talked about last week, joy is found in, in living like Jesus, which is an other-focused life. And when we live that way with faith, hope, and love, what we find is joy... Above the circumstances, instead of grumbly, complaining, argumentative, we are able to live a life of joy in a way that other people look at and are like, what's your deal? How could you be like that? Don't you know what's happening? Don't you know what they said? Don't you know what's going on? I mean, come on. And we all know people, though, who are like that, who are joyful, always kind of people who just overflow with joy. And, and they're, they're like magnetic. You're like, you just want to be around those people because it's contagious. And it's just like, whoa, this is just amazing. He's just people of joy. And, and it's, they're the kind of people we all want to be. And certainly they bring light in an otherwise dark world. And, and I was thinking about different people in my life who are that way. And, and there's a lot of those. But here's some that I, I wrote down four over the course of my life. Uh, one is a guy named Bob Goff. And many of you know who Bob is because he's a, a, a famous writer, you know, best-selling author. And uh, he's spoken here a couple times. And if you don't know who he is, look him up and, and read one of his books, it's, you know, and, or look at one of his talks online. But Bob is one of these guys who just brings joy everywhere. Like if you, when you take a picture with Bob, he doesn't just stand there. We take a picture of Bob, Bob every picture is going to be like that, you know, and he, because he just, he really does want to bring joy to every moment. And, and when you call Bob and talk to him, by the way, you can, his, he puts his phone number at the end of book, his cell number at, at the end of every book he writes. And he tells people, anybody wants to call me, call me. And if I can answer, I will. And, uh, and I've called him a few times, so different things, like when he was speaking or some other things. And whenever I call him, it's never like, well, hello, Jeff. So I was like, Jeff! You called me. This is amazing. And, and it, it's just who he is. Like, he's not making that up. He's not being fake. He said, I've been looking forward to this. I can't believe it. This is so amazing. What do you, let's talk. What do you have to say? You know? Well, guess what? You just want to keep calling him every day. Like, you know, just, and, and he's, a, he's a joy bringer. Another person is a guy named uh, Wayne Cordero. Uh, Wayne is uh, retired now, but was a pastor. He's a seminary professor too now, but he was a uh, pastor who started a bunch of churches in Hawaii. And you should go to Hawaii, give you joy, and go to his church, New Hope Church. And there are New Hope churches, I think, on every island. And uh, it's called New Hope. And look it up. They're great. But um, Wayne is just one of those people. And I, I remember we, we were in some meetings. We were on a, a foundation board together. And there were about eight of us who were in, in, you know, going to Dallas, flying to Dallas from the airport. I think we were in Denver. 
And we were flying to Dallas. And for me, it was, you know, getting off other people, transferring other places. And so a bunch of us are on one side of the waiting area. Wayne was working on a talk by himself. So he was over on the other uh, side of the waiting area. And it was one of those flights that gets delayed and then delayed again and delayed again and delayed again. And the last delayed again was, folks, we don't know. And guess what? People were grumbly and complaining and argumentative. The morale just went because it, it had already taken hours. And it was just this terrible thing. I mean, just, and guess where I was at in that? I was grumbly and complaining. I wasn't arguing with the people behind the thing. I didn't do that. Other people were. I didn't do that. But, you know, it's just like, oh, you know, the people around it. And that last one, which was so deflating, that last announcement, we looked over at Wayne. And he just like activated. Uh, he was working on his talk before that, but then you just, he stood up and he had this effusive smile on his face. And we, all we could do was see it. We had no idea what he was saying. I wish I knew, but he was, but he just got up and he started talking to people. And as he did, you could see it. People were like people who were so like that all of a sudden they, their smiles were contagious and they're smiling and laughing. And, and as he goes down the row, it's like this light just growing in this, in his section of the waiting area. And everybody's looking, thinking, what's going on with those people? And I have no idea. But one of our people asked him later, they didn't, we still don't know what he said, but just like, Hey, what was that? And he just said, well, I just realized now, I was missing the opportunity. I wasn't there just to do work. I was there to bring love and joy to people who really needed it because I'm a Jesus person and he wants us to experience joy and overflow with joy. That's what he says in John 15. So I'm just helping people, whether they knew him or not, just try to have some joy. And that's Wayne. Everywhere he goes, kind of like that. I, I've talked over the years about another person, Miss Helen, who when I was in high school and college and young adult, uh, when I was in college, I met with her every week. She taught me, she was the one who taught me really how to have a relationship with God. And, and, and she was in her 80s and then 90s. And she was this person of just incredible joy. And, and, and whenever you were with her, it just changed the trajectory of your day. You, you know, and so she taught piano at two different colleges. And students would sign up to play piano who didn't give a flip about piano. They didn't want to learn piano, but they wanted to be on the piano bench with her. Because they just needed that injection of joy and love and all that, you know, that she would bring. And she was that way. One other person. Got him Ron Blue. Ron was a professor at the graduate school I went to for theology called seminary is the word for it. Uh, that's how, what got me to Dallas. Dallas Theological Seminary. And he was a professor there. And he was just this person of effusive joy. And I remember one time he was late for class and he came in and explained why he was late. He's like, oh, I'm so sorry. He said, I went to the bank and this was like 30 years ago. Okay. 30. Yeah. 34 years ago. And, um, when, when bank problems weren't that easy to fix and uh, he'd gone to the bank and this lady had made a big mistake that was a lot of money and kind of scary. And she felt really bad and it took a couple hours to fix and she was just waiting to be blasted. She's like, I'm so sorry. This is terrible. We're going to fix it up. You know, it's just, it's not as easy. We're sorry. It's just, no, this is taking a long time. And he just gets this big smile. And he says, oh, you know what? Don't do that. Don't, I mean, this is, in fact, this is wonderful. This is part of the great adventure. Let's see what happens. Because it could be really cool. 
And she's like, excuse me? You're like, you're not angry? He said, no, I'm not angry. Are you kidding me? This is part of the great adventure. Let's see what happens. This could be amazing. And so then she asked, what are you talking about, great adventure? She said, well, I'm a, I'm a Christian, and what that means is I follow Jesus, which means he's in charge. He's in the lead, and I never know what's going to happen, but he's always up to something, and it's always pretty amazing. And I didn't, I didn't ask for this, so I'm just assuming he's the one, you know, he's involved in this, and I bet he's got something for us. And if we keep our eyes open, I bet we'll find it. It could be pretty cool. So you know what? You and I, for a couple hours, we're on the adventure together, aren't we? She's like, well, I guess so. You know? And then the reason he was late is it started this hour-long conversation about spiritual things. And I don't remember what happened. If she became a believer, that'd make a better story. She became a believer, went to the mission field. And all. I, don't, I have no idea if she, all that happened, but... But I, I've never forgotten that phrase. Just whenever a frustrating thing would happen or whatever, he just part of the great adventure. Let's see where Jesus is in this. I mean, wouldn't we all love to be that kind of person? And it's easy to hear those stories and think, yeah, but I mean, like Bob Goff, right? He's like this big personality. And, I, and that's the reason I use four stories. Because some of these people that I mentioned are, are introverts. They're not all extroverts. They're not all just like wildly like, ah life of the party kind of people. I'm not talking about changing our personality. What I'm talking about is with our personality, big or small, introverted, extroverted, what would it look like to experience joy that overflowed to other people in a way where we let an otherwise dark world? And how can we find that and become more of that kind of person? And Paul talks about it in the passage. And what I love about this passage, because we can choose joy in all over New Testament, we're, in, all, in, in Philippians, we're told to do that. That's the short run. But uh, there's a longer run answer of how to become people of joy. And that is where Jesus begins to transform us from the inside out to make us like him. In Philippians, excuse me, in John 15, Jesus says, hey, I, I've taught you all these things so, so that I could, I could pass on my joy to you. Because God is the most joyful being in the universe. And he wants us to experience his joy. He wants us to be joyful like he's joyful. And that's why in, in 2.15, he says, So that you may become blameless and pure, children of God, without fault in a warped and crooked generation. We lived in a warped and crooked generation. We lived in a warped and crooked world full of warped and crooked people. And guess how we all start? We all start warped and crooked ourselves. And spiritual transformation is about getting us straight and not warped. And more and more like our Father in heaven. And, and, you know, my dad was a wonderful guy. He's in heaven. He's still a one, more wonderful than ever, I guess, up there. But, but one of the greatest compliments anybody could give me is when they would say, because I did kind of look like my dad. People would say, man, you look so much like your dad. And that was great. But even greater is when people would say, you know, you're, you're a lot like your dad. I was like, you know what? Dad, thank you. I don't think, I mean, I'm not even close, but I really appreciate that. Same way with our heavenly father. It's like to be more like our dad, to be more like our heavenly father. Transfer. Well, how does that happen? And Paul tells us in the passage, just an amazing passage. This is how spiritual transformation happens in a nutshell. We just read it. Where he says, hey, as you've always obeyed, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose. So there's something that we do and there's something even more importantly that God does. In this, you know, so we work out our salvation. He works in our lives. We'll talk about that. And that process is one 
that brings about fear and trembling. Which may sound a little strange to us. Are you talking about fear and trembling? Are we supposed to be scared of God? Like right now there's all these Halloween movies on TV and all these advertisements, which I hate for scary. I hate scary movies. And I, I know some of you like them and I like you and you're wonderful, but I hate them. And I just, and, uh, and, and so whenever they come on, it's like, why do they even show that? Like Ryan and Christy, especially my wife would be like, can we just turn it off? Like, I don't want to see those commercials. And, and is that the way it's supposed to be with God? Like we're supposed to be like, ah, ah. and that's not what fear and trembling is about. What fear and trembling is about is, uh, is certainly respect, but a deep sense of awe and reverence because God is God. He's above everything. He's all good. He's all powerful. He's all everything. I mean, he's just like, he's completely other. And, and like, there's nobody more significant than him. And it's like last week I was in some meetings. Now, I don't want to make it sound like it was a small, it was just, it was like 150 people with uh, Dan Cathy, at, uh, who was for decades the CEO of Chick-fil-A which is like responsible for about 80% of my diet, you know? So I was like, I was really looking forward to being with him. And, and, um, and just, he was given leadership insights and different things. And, um, it was great. And, um, he's a billionaire. I don't hang around with billionaires, you know, but he's just this humble guy. And it was, it was really great experience. But, um, but just being able to say hi to him or whatever, was like, Ooh, you know, that's nothing. Who's Dan Kathy. When we're talking about God, the God of the universe. And I want you to hear this because God does. God of the universe is worthy of all praise and honor and awe and fear and all of it. But he loves you. And he's interested in you. And he has a future for you. He created you for it. And he wants to transform you. He wants to change you. He accepts us as we are, but he has such a bigger vision for us to become different, to become like him. So much so, and it, that here's what he does. This is his part. Now we're going to talk about our part in a minute. He says, for it is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose. So in spiritual transformation, God does the heavy lifting. God is the one who actually transforms. I, can't, can, I cannot transform my life. I could do, read some self-help books, make my life a little bit better on the surface, but I can't go very far. But God can go deep and he can go far. And that's what he wants to do. And, and I love what it's, the word that he uses here is a powerful one. He says, for it is God who works in you. The word, the Greek word is inner gain. From which we get energy. God is the one who energizes our life, our transformation. He's the power behind it. And, and he's all powerful. So like, it's way bigger than we can think. Picture a Lamborghini engine on a little riding lawnmower. It's like, there's plenty of power. Like, that's not the problem. And it's really cool because he doesn't just empower. He's not ready just to empower our transformation and, and to help it happen. He, he says, you know, I'll make it easier than that. If you're up for it, I'll even give you, by my power, the desire to transform. I won't only transform you. I'll give you the desire. I'll give you the want to. Because right now you don't want to, because change is hard. It's easier to stay the same. It's not comfortable and all that. I'll, I'll fix, I, I'll give you the ability to even want to change and I'll give you the ability to change. I'm ready to do it all. However, there's something that he asks. Because God, and this is, you know, a big theological conundrum for people, but it's just, it's real, it's there. 
that God gives us a decision. He gives us will. He gives us free will. And we can blow it off. Or we can activate spiritual development and take steps in spiritual development in which God meets us with his power. And that's why he says continue to work out your salvation. God works in us. We're called to work it out. What does that mean, work out your salvation? Well, salvation, a lot of times people just think of, oh, salvation is when you pray and you ask Jesus in your life and forgive you so that you go to heaven after you die, not the other place. And yeah, that's true. That's part of the deal. But that's just part of the deal. Salvation is really about what God wants to do in our life now, not just later in eternity, but saving us from sin, saving us from ourselves. Saving us from stupidity, saving us from darkness, saving us from meaninglessness. He wants to give us and help us lead just this whole new life. And, and you and I, it's all there. But he asks us to work it out. And the word there, work out, is different than energize. Uh, the word means to initiate and complete. It means to activate. Meaning there's something that we're, like he's ready to go. But there's some, something that we're to do to make that happen. To activate it. To step into it. And I think the word step is a good way. It's to step into all that God wants. And then God will meet us in that step. And he's ready to go with all of his power. But he asks us to step. Well, what step? What does that mean? Well, this church is actually built around some of those, like the steps. That, that we engage God and we step into an environment. Which means we open up our life to God. And then he meets us in that and grows us. And changes us. What you're doing right now is one of those steps. When we gather together to worship him and to hear from him in practical Bible teaching, just the Bible being taught, and we apply it to our life, he will energize that. He will be the one who will help us apply it to our life as we step in and we do that. And if you do that over time, you will grow. You will be different today. I mean, be different next year than you are today. And 10 years from now, you'll be very different than you are right now. If you just do that. But there's other steps. Even more powerful, I think. Like, one is community. When you and I do what the Bible says and we step into community with other believers who can help each other grow. Ephesians 4 says the body grows as it builds itself up in love, as each member does its part. Meaning we help each other grow. And as we begin to do that and we love one another, serve one another, pray for one another, teach one another, confront one another. All those things. All the one another's. We one another away on, uh, on the way to spiritual growth. And so when you choose to step into a group, that's a powerful step. And, and so when, and you can do that anytime you want. There's groups that you can go online and find, you know, different types and all that kind of stuff. And I don't know why you wouldn't do that. Um, serving is another one, right? Where we begin to serve in the church or in the community and God fills us and uses us. And, and it's not, he not only uses us to help others and encourage others, but in the process, we grow, we become like him. When we spend time with him in the Bible and in prayer, uh, you know, on our own and our app is there to help you do that. And there's other things like you version of the Bible uh, online. I mean, there's all these tools out there to help. And there's a number of steps, right, that we can take. When you go through, never waste a crisis. Find God in the middle of a crisis, in the middle of a difficulty, because and, and, that's where we tend to grow the most. Never waste a, an opportunity to stretch your faith when God is calling you to do something that's scary or give in a way that's scary or serve in a way that's scary or take some scary step, because you'll grow more than any other time when you do that. 
And God is just ready to do it, right? But he asks us to activate it. And one of the things that will happen is that we will become people of increasing joy because that's one of the fruits of the Spirit. That's a different analogy than what Paul is using here. But in Galatians 6, he talks about the fruit of the Spirit, meaning like if we are a fruit tree and the gods at work in our life transforming us, what kind of fruit would you expect? And the fruit of the Spirit, he says, is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. So if you want to know if you're growing... It means that people around you will see at work, at school, in your family, wherever, will see that you're, you're actually growing. You're becoming more self-controlled. You're becoming more kind. You're becoming more loving. You're becoming, you're, you're at peace way more than you are active. It's like, man, you used to have so much peace. You used to be so freaked out all the time. You, um, and, but one of them is joy. Instead of grumbling and arguing and complaining, it's being, and, and, which is what Paul's focused on in this passage, it's to be people of joy. And in a world like this, where it's not so easy to find joy because circumstances are dark and all that, and when you and I are joyful people, like the people that I described, and we can rise above grumbly, complaining, argumentative, and all that, we will stand out like stars in the sky. Now, Mother Teresa uh, um, you know, and some of you are too young to know who that is, like, probably. But uh, Mother Teresa, like in my era, there were two Christians that people always, you know, referred to. Uh, Jeff Jones. and No, no, sorry. Uh, Billy Graham. That's who, that's who I'm thinking. Billy Graham and, uh, and Mother Teresa, right? People would think about. Well, Mother Teresa was a nun. She was working on the streets in Calcutta among the poorest of the poor. I mean, street people in Calcutta... That's the poorest of the poor. And her goal, though, was not only to give compassion, but to do it with dignity and to create a community, even in that dark, difficult place, a community of joy. To be a bright light in an otherwise dark part of the world. In those slums and on the streets in Calcutta. And she did. And she was a person of effusive joy. And because uh, there's a lot of people that did a lot of good things around the world, but this, that's what made her stand out even more. And here's some of the things she said about joy. She said, a joyful servant of God is a net to catch souls for God. And that's true, right? When you're around a joyful person, you just want to be around that person. It's like, what, what, what's their deal? She also said, a joyful servant of God preaches without preaching. Then when we're just joyful in our world, we preach without preaching. I mean, if a picture is worth a thousand words, a joyful believer is worth a thousand sermons. Now, I like sermons. But there's something really powerful about a person who, no matter what they're going through, is just this joyful... And I don't mean fake. I don't mean they don't struggle. I don't mean they don't grieve. But there's something, even in their grief, where they're able to find a sense of bigness and a sense of joy... And it's what Jesus wants for us. In John 15, 11, he said, I've told you these things so that you will be filled with my joy. Yes, your joy will overflow. And that's what he wants for us. So what does that mean? Like, how can we find it as we've talked about? Let's well, just summarize what Paul said. I mean, there's a longer term answer. And that longer term answer is walk with God into a whole new life. Work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you both to will and to work according to his good pleasure. So you do your part, which is actually pretty small. 
It's just being open to God and taking some steps. And he's the one. He's like, ha, 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 let's go. Because he's got all the power and love and energy and patience to help make it happen. And over time, we'll become people more and more joyful. The kind of people we want to be, that God wants us to be. But also, in the short run, the book of Philippians, we're told over and over again to have joy. It's a command. Rejoice. Rejoice always. Be joyful always. Be joyful again and again and again. Just be people of joy. Well, you say, okay, that sounds easy, but how do we do that? You and I can choose joy. And, and we can look to God to help us because remember, he's the one who will help us will and act. Meaning we can say, God, right now, I want to grumble. I want to complain. I want to argue. I want to be, I, that's, I don't, I'm not joyful. But God, I need you to help me. I need you to give me joy. Give me the will to be joyful. And then the ability to be joyful even in this moment. And, and this week, why don't we do that? Every time something, because stuff's going to happen. And every time something happens, it's disappointing, it's frustrating, we don't like. And, we, and other people around us are grumbly and they're complaining and they're arguing. We're like, you know what, we're not going to do that. It's not the way I roll anymore. I'm not going to do that. God, help me, instead of that, help me choose joy. Live above it. And I, I think one way to do that is to steal from my professor, Ron Blue, just a little phrase. Just part of the great adventure following Jesus. And so just have that phrase. And when something happens this week, and it will, just say, you know what? It's just part of the great adventure. And like you told the lady, hey, you know what? Let's find God in this. This can be pretty amazing. And it's true, right? Because in every one of those moments, there's an opportunity to find him in a way that's pretty amazing. And we can find his strength. We can find his hope. We can find his redemption. We can see him at work. And let's ask God to help us because he's ready to. So let's bow our heads together in prayer. Father, um, I thank you that you came to bring joy. Like, like you want us to be joyful like you are. And will you help us do that? Because this world is not easy, as you know. And we face a lot of darkness and disappointment and frustration and disagreement and polarization. Just all this stuff that's going on in the world. God, would you help us in a dark world to light it up with joy? And over time, will you help us grow in that quality as we grow in you and as we're transformed? And this week, right where we're at in, in the whole transformation journey, help us choose joy. Help us find joy even in the disappointment and darkness and difficulty. Even as we struggle, help us even in that. Help us find your joy. Help us live the adventure of following you wherever you lead us and look for you and find you in it. In Jesus' name, amen.